Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirman Dafyomi. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. We're now beginning the seventh chapter of Masachet Babakama, Perak Mirubet, or Mirubah more properly, on Daf Samachbet Amudbet. And a very quick introduction is in order. For the first six chapters of Masachet Babakama, we dealt with an area that we refer to as Nizke Mamon, uh, damage caused by one's property, so that one's animals, typically Karen, Shane Varegel, Aish, Nizke Bor, we dealt with all of that. But if you recall, way back at the beginning of the Masechet, after introducing the Arba Avot Nizikin, we had the lists of Rab Chia and Rab Oshaya, which were either 13 or 24 Avot Nizikin, and nearly all of them were people, what we refer to as Nizke Gufo. And so now we will turn our attention from here to the end of the Masechet to Nizke Gufo, damage done by people directly and not by an extension of them, in other words, their property. Uh, if you recall, back in that Breitah, uh one of the Mazikin, uh, and in the second Breitah that was expanded, is a Ganav. Now, important to note the difference between a Ganav and a Gazlan. A Ganav is a burglar, a Gazlan is a robber. A Gazlan has the obligation to pay back what he has, th- what he has taken, uh, as opposed to a ganav who has an automatic obligation to pay back double what he has burgled from the house. Uh, I've put um, on the page three, two parshiot and one loan pasuk, the numbered one and three, and then the loan pasuk is two. And one is really the parsha of ganav, which is at the end of chapter 21 and beginning of chapter two, 22 of Shmot. And uh, and in that passage, we are told, and we'll see that uh, explicated quite a bit in this parak. we are told that if somebody is a ganav, he has to pay double. Uh, there is an added feature in there, which is that if he steals a lamb or an ox, an ovine or a bovine, and then makes it irretrievable in such a way that he sells it or slaughters it, uh, he has to pay more than double, but rather arba v'chamisha, uh, four times the value of the sheep or five times the value of the ox. Um, the first Mishnah that we're going to deal with will compare and contrast the obligation of kefal, of paying double, as opposed to arba v'chamisha. But there is yet one more piece to the puzzle when we saw this in the previous parak, and now it's going to be dealt with far more explicitly and far more in detail, and that is toin ta'anat ganav. So to clarify what that means, I wrote a very brief note on the page, but to clarify what it means, if someone is a shomer, and he is watching something, and uh, he would be exempted from liability for it were it burgled from his house, let's say a shomer chinam, and when the owner, the mafkid, comes back to collect it, he says, it was stolen from me, to'en tanat ganav. If he is lying, then he has to pay kefel. In other words, kefel is not limited to a ganav, but it also goes to a to'en tanat ganav, and we will see that dealt with almost immediately in our parak. To the text. Merubah midat tashlumei, kefel midat tashlumei arba Kefal has a leg up over Abba Chamisha. Kefal applies to things that are alive and things that are not alive. In other words, items, goods, as opposed to Abba uh, Chamisha that only applies to certain animals. 
מידת השטובים בחמישה היא נוהגת אלא בשור וסב בלבד. Only the bovine and the ovine. Shenamar ki gnom ish shor omeselz vachom acharo, etc. And you can see the pasuk right there. Now, on the other hand, ein hagonev acharganam v'shalom tashlume kefal. If a burglar burgles from a burglar, he does not pay kefal. V'lo ha-tovech v'omacher acharganam v'shalom tashlume v'chamisha. Nor is there a payment of four or five if you slaughter it, if you stole it from a ganav. Uh, and we'll deal with that much, much later. We've got quite a ways to go to the next Mishnah, and it'll be a ways to go until we address the end of our Mishnah. All right, the beginning of the Gemara. It's a very long phrase. But the Gemara immediately notices that in comparing and contrasting Arba Bachamisha and Kefal, it, note, it did not note the difference that um, that one would pay kefel if he made claims tanat ganav, but one would not pay arba v'chamisha if he's towing to nitbach v'nimkar, which would lead us to the conclusion that in both cases you pay that amount. So if somebody says it was burgled from me and you're lying, you pay double. If somebody says it was burgled from me and it was slaughtered, uh, and really you're the one who slaughtered it, you would pay arba v'chamisha. So that supports the position of Rabbi Yochanan. That if you make that claim of Ganav, you pay double, and if you make the claim of Tevachamacha, you pay Arb four and five, which means they're not different in that regard. Now, some people start this approach from the opposite direction, saying that our Mishnah supports. Rabbi Yochanan, and that's rejected because Miktani Ein Bain. Our Mishnah is not listed, is not presented as an Ein Bain. The only, the only difference between Kefal and Arba Chamisha is uh, whether it applies to other things. It didn't say that, which means we don't have an exhaustive list. Merubak Tani, It said this is one way in which Kefal is greater than uh, Arba Chamisha. There may be other ways. It could be that Toin Tanat Gana pays Kefal and Toin Tanat Tavachamachar doesn't pay Arba Chamisha. Okay. That is why Kefal no Now the question is, how do we know that Kefal applies to all sorts of things? So you take a look at the pasuk and we'll see. Al Kol Devar Pesha, which is a klal, you're liable for any sort of negligence. Al Shor Al Chamor Al Sevi Al Salma. So it lists those four specifics, oxen, donkeys, uh, sheep, and clothing. And clothing is, of course, the red herring here because it's not an animal. Prat. Al-kol aveda chazar v'chalal. Alright, so um, this, this is not in the Parsha of Geneva. This is uh, verse 3 on, our, on, our, on the page. Uh, but this is in the, in the Parsha of Shomrim. Uh, so, klal v'chalal yetadan elokeina prat. So what's the rule of klal uprat to klal? You, you uh, take the prat as an example and find anything that has shares significant characteristics with the example and it fits in. Ma prat for us to So look at shor, chamor, sen, and salma. What do they have in common? They are all goods that are moved and they have inherent value. So what's excluded? Yatsu karkaot, shenamataltalin. So land is out, samataltalin. And as I pointed out, the Pasuk in Vayikra Chafhei, 
Pasuk Memvav says, the olam bahem ta'avodu, v'inachaltem otam levenechem acharechem. And we saw many times in Masachet Kitin that avadim kananim are compared to karka for all sorts of, of implications. Yatsu shtarot, shtar is not included if you say that a shtar was stolen from you. Uh, sorry, if you steal a shtar uh, and then you uh, are caught or you admit it, you don't pay double. Why? They don't have inherent value. They're representative value or value of collection. And hektesh is out because it starts out and re'ehu, as we saw in the first parak with Nizke Shur, excludes hektesh. Now, Let's challenge this. This we saw two times in the previous parak. You could whittle down the prat and find a much higher common denominator, which is these are all things that when they die, their nevela has tumat maga, which means if you touch the nevela, you're tame, or if you even carry it without touching it, tumat masa. So then I could say the um, So therefore. So therefore I would say that the prat is there to guide me and tell me that only those animals that have tumat maga, tumat nevela, so that would knock out fowl, but only have tumat begadim abeta blia. We'll talk about that in the next Talmud. And those are only ofot tahorim. We'll talk about all that. But how could you even suggest that the prat is that limited, after all, hasamakti, one of the four items on the prat is clothing, which isn't an animal at all. So Amri, our answer was, Anan balechayim kamrina. We mean that within the context of the animals listed there, that's what our suggestion is. Now, why? The way that we view a klal with multiple pratim is klal prat A, klal, klal prat B, klal, etc. And each one of the animals, therefore, has uh, this unique feature, not unique feature, but common feature with each other of, of Tumat Vela, but it's not so broad as to refer to it as just any goods. Right? Avala Fotlo. So, imken, uh, the answer is imken prata. If that was the case, the Torah would have to write shor or chamor. Now, we all agree it would have to write salma to tell us this halach is not limited to animals. But it could, doesn't have to write all three animals. So the question is, hey nichto rachman, and this we had earlier partially, uh, which one do you want the Torah to write? In other words, what we're pointing out is the Torah had to write all four. Why ikat rachman ashor, avaman ashor, inchen lo. This again we had earlier. If the Torah only wrote shor, I would think that this law only applies to animals that are special. They go to the mizbeach. If you go to chamor, if the Torah only wrote chamor, I would say So I pointed out twice in the previous parak, chamor is a unique animal in that it's the only behemoth tmea that has kedushat bechor. Take a look in uh, in Shemot Yud Gimel. And therefore, if it said chamor, I'd say okay, only those special kind of animals. Um, so therefore, let the Torah write shor v'chamor. So you're right that the Torah could have just written shor and chamor, but it didn't need to write se, because shor and chamor give me everything. Why is se there? It's there to say, oh, includes even things beyond that high common denominator, and rather it even includes other living things, fowl, that don't have too much available. Now, maybe I should limit it only to ofotorim and not hawks and not eagles. 
Why? At least it's closer to a says, a regular mammal, so therefore it has regular tumat nevela. And of tahor, if it's a nevela, and you eat it, then it has tumat bigadim of what you're wearing over your stomach. Tumat bigadim abetablia. But it does not, that's not true about a hawk or an eagle. So that um, there is no din of tumat nevela at all for an of tameh. So at least, if I'm going to expand it, I should expand it only to ofot tahorim and not to ofot tameim. So we keep noticing that a call part of call is not getting us exactly as far as we want to go. All right, so the answer is, so the answer is, call ribu yahu. And this again is what we saw earlier in a different context. When it says, I'll call dvar pesha, call means everything. So we're no longer in the world of Kalal Protocol, which means if we accept this premise, we're going to have to go back and look at all the Kalal Protocol and reorient ourselves because it doesn't have that function. Now, the, the, what we're saying is Al Kol Dvar Pesha means it applies to everything. So if that's, do you think every time the Torah says the word Kol, it means everything automatically? And again, we had this exact question a few days ago from this same Pasuk. This is in Pidyon Masasheni. Klal, go to Yerushalayim and spend, go to the place that Hashem chooses and use the money for whatever you want. That's a klal. So the herd and the flock and wine and mead, prat, those are pratim. And again, four pratim like ours. Whatever you want. So call prat call yet prat. So we use again the guide of the prat. Ma prat furash primi primi gudule karka, just like bakar tzon yain v'shechar, all things that reproduce from themselves and grow from the ground in one way or another, nurtured from the ground, have called primi primi gudule karka. So therefore, you cannot spend meiser sheni money, for instance, on salt. Now there it said bechol. So why don't we just say kol is ribui and you could use anything? Amri they answered. Bakol or bechol klala, kol ribuyu. When it says bechol, like in the pasuk of Masasheni, that's a regular klal. When it just says kol, like kol dvar pesha in our pasuk, that's a ribuy. So we're making a very fine distinction between bechol and kol. The other way of looking at it is kol klalahu. Kol is also a klal. Bakol bechol kol. It's always a klal. You call the kol the hacha but the kol here has to be a ribuy. Why? In the first part of Pasuk 3 on the page, I'm calling Pasuk 3, uh, you have the, already a Klal of Protokol. If a man gives to his fellow, that includes anything he might give to him. And then it lists specifics, which are silver or vessels, prat, lishmor, to guard, which means anything you guard. That's a Klal. And, and so therefore you've got a call protocol at the beginning. So if you think that the call that appears in the last part of Pasuk 3 is also a klal, then why doesn't the Torah write up with the first klal prat? In other words, if we just have another part of klal, put it up there. Right? So therefore, why does it, why does it not do it? Because the call here is not a call. The call here is a reboy. <clears throat> um, I'll call So we now see it's a reboy. Now, as I said, we have to go back and revisit our call of Paro Klal. 
What do I need Shor Hamor and Salma anymore? I have Kol. Kol tells me everything. So the answer is that in the end I don't have everything. I already have established that certain things are excluded from this law. Remember we said that if a person somehow uh, absconds with land, there is no Dean of Kefel. Uh, also there is no Dean here of uh, of uh, Tana. There's no the Kfira to Karkot, etc. Karkot doesn't apply to any of these laws. Chadimute Avadim, right? So Avadim did not ride along with Karkot in the separate mute. Chadimute Shtarot, we had to get rid of Shtarot because they don't have inherent value. And what's Salma therefore? If you have goods where there are no Simanim, they have no markers or identifying markers, they're just not in this parsha of Shvuata Shomrim, of an oath that the Shomer has to take. And how, what's Al Kol Aveda at the end of that? If uh, if somebody found uh, an aveda, this is a new step. If somebody found an aveda, and then he says it was stolen from me, and then it turns out he was lying, he pays kefel, and that's not alkol aveda. Meaning, not only when it's taken from the Shomer, but when this guy found an Aveda, and, so, and he makes such a claim, he pays Kefal. Shinemar, Akol Aveda, Shiryomar. Akol Aveda, Shiryomar, Kihuzeh, but the way we're kind of reparsing it is Akol Aveda, Shiryomar. In other words, not only if there's really an Aveda, but rather even if he claims it, it, there's a, he, he found an Aveda, and then he says it was stolen from me, and turns out he's lying, he pays Kefal. Okay, Tananatam. Hechan Piktoni, we have the following Mishnah later on in uh, in Bavakama, in Paraktet. A, sh- a mafkid comes up and says, Where's my Pikotan? Amarle Avad. He says it was lost. Mashbiachani. I'm going to take you take an oath, Shuat Hashomrim, that it was lost. Amar Amen. Good. So he goes with the Shuat. And then Edim come along and said, He took it himself. The Shomer took it himself. Mishalim et Hakaran. He pays the value, like a regular Gazlan or a Namazik. Hodal piatzmo. If instead, after the shvua, he came and said, "You know what? I was lying." Now he has to pay an asham gzelot and chomesh because of the shvua and the karen. But there's no kefil here. On the other hand, the next mishnah says, "Echan piktoni marlo nignav." If he says it was stolen from me, if the Adim come and say he stole it after he took an oath that, that, that it was stolen from him, and the Adim come and say he's been he spent it himself or he ate it on himself, then he pays kefel. Again, the same thing. If he comes after the shvu and says I lied, then he has to pay asham gzelot. Now, the point that we wanted to get out of these two Mishnayot is that when you claim as a Shomer that the item was stolen from you and it turns out you're lying, you pay Kefal. If on the other hand you claim it was lost and it turns out you're lying, then you don't pay Kefal. So now we have to figure out why. <clears throat> now, not only that, but even when you claim you're a, that a Ghanav got it from you and you're lying, you only pay Kefal if you took an oath to that effect. You come to Beitin, you say it was stolen. They're about to administer an oath. oath. Two witnesses come up and say, I saw you use it. You don't pay Kefal. You only pay Kefal if you claimed it was stolen and you lied and you took an oath. So now, how do we know this entire structure that uh, that a towing tanat ganav, not a real ganav, a guy who claims it was stolen from him, only pays kefel if he claims ganav and if he took a shvur to that effect. The tanu rabbanan, 
This goes back to the Pasuk 1, which is the Parsha of Geneva. Im yimatse haganav. Now notice it says, im lo yimatse haganav, then you have to take an oath. Right? Im yimatse haganav, then he has to pay double. So now, im yimatse haganav, This is not talking about the God of himself. This is talking about a Shomer taking an oath that it was stolen from him. Uh, the, uh, the, claiming that it was stolen from him. No, no oath yet. Maybe this pasuk, is talking about the God of himself. That's a simple read. Because the next pasuk says, the earlier pasuk says, if we do not find the ganav, it says, So he says, According to this bright, are both talking about somebody who's making a claim about a ganav. There is no ganav there. Now, Tanya Yidach, we have another Brita that does it differently. If the Ganav is found, that one's really talking about a Ganav. Maybe this is only towing Tanat Ganav, and it's not a Ganav at all. It's not a real Ganav, but it's a guy who claims it was stolen from me. We already have that. Meaning that it really wasn't uh, what he said. Now, we have two bright One bright claims that both is talking about The other bright says is talking about a ganav, and is talking about So now, So let's figure out how they got that, because everybody seems to agree, both bright agree, that is a reference to Where'd that come from? My mashma. So Rava meaning if it doesn't turn out to be the way he said it, he said there was a ganav. It turns out to be that that was not what not what really happened. Now how do we know that this only applies if you took a shvua, as we said? What happens? He has to come and to the baiting. We say l'shvua. That means he has to take an oath. I tell my l'shvua, I know the dean. Maybe it just means you go to court. In two parshiot of the shomerim, it says you have to take an oath that, that you, the shomer, did not send your hand against. It means you did not take it. And we know over there that it's shvuat adonai You have an oath between the two of you. So you know that there's an oath there. And therefore, whenever you're, you're coming to Beitin to talk about Shlichut Yad and saying you didn't want Shalach Yad, therefore it means that you have to take an oath that we learned from the other parsha. Good. Now, Bishlam Alamanda Amar, we're going to play a little ping pong here. Chad Beganav, Chad Ganav, according to the second Brighta that said one Pasuk is talking about Ganav and one's about Tointanat Ganav, Hanilthi cry. That's why you have Yimatse and Loyimatse, because you got to cover both. But according to the first brighta, one between both according to the the first brighta, both imimatse and loimatse are talking about toentana ganav. Trey cry lamali, what do I need two psukim for? One is there to tell you the halacha, one is there to tell you this halacha does not apply if the guy says it was lost as opposed to it was stolen. Now we have to flip it back. So according to the second, the, the, the second brayta, sorry, the first brayta, that says, the second brayta, that says one is ganav, one is toin tanat ganav, therefore they don't have an extra phrase, both are needed. How does he know the halacha, that if a person says avad, and it turns out he's lying, he doesn't pay kefal. 
The answer is from Miganav Haganav. So this only applies to a Ganav and not any other claim. But according to the one who said they're both talking about Toin Ganav, he already had Tanatavad knocked out. Ganav Haganav my Darishibe. What is he going to do with Haganav? To tell me this halacha that if you claim Tanat Ganav, you pay Kefel. He says, not only will you pay Kefel, but if you claim it was slaughtered, you have to pay Arba Bachamisha. And that's why I need Ganav HaGanav to tell me if you claim a Ganav, you now have the status 100% of a Ganav with all of the possible consequences, even Arba Bachamisha. So now our other fellow, who says that one uh, pasuk is for ganav, one is for imlot, im, tanat ganav, and so he doesn't have anything extra. And therefore he needs ganav haganav to tell me, um, to get rid of uh, tanat avad. Ganav how does he know that um, that a ganav himself, uh, sorry, um, uh, how does he know this halacha that if you're towing tanat ganav and towing tanat tavachu machar you're going to pay four and five? The answer is um, that the fact that the Torah equated the ganav with the towing tanat ganav and there's no challenge to that hekesh or we're not going to challenge that hekesh. Therefore, we'll say he is fully like a Ganav for everything, and I don't need a Pasuk, an extra word or extra letter even, to tell me that I have it right, right there built into the Parsha. Okay, we'll stop here. It's as good a place as any to stop, and we'll pick up in the next, uh, in the next, uh, podcast at the bottom of Samach Kimuhamad Aleph, and I think you'll all agree that we are in for a very exciting time in our study of Perak Mirubah, the seventh Perak of Babakama. Everybody should have a wonderful day.